Getting split ready. Getting split ready. Getting split ready. Getting split ready. For my wife, God rest her soul. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. She's not dead. <laughs> We're just divorced. Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation. Getting split ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show? Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Hello and welcome to another episode of Getting Split Ready. Great show tonight. We've got some fantastic guests on our panel. We have Laura Barr from Embark Collaborations, CDFI and CLII Fellow. CDFI. We have Angela Schuler from New Vista Behavioral Health, Masters in Social Work and uh, Licensed Clinical Social Worker, uh, Linda LeBlanc, Family Law Attorney from LeBlanc and Mulholland, and... Here we go. Ah, Olga Stambler. I was upside down there for a minute. Family law attorney and um, mediator from Hearst, Robin, and KLLC. Tonight, great topics. What do you think, Mariah? About the topics? I think they're good. Yeah, we've got student debt and how it's impacted from divorce. Uh, Can you legislate divorce solutions? Some interesting things came out this week in the news and we're going to talk about that a little bit then we're going to talk a little bit about parental alienation and reunification counseling kind of bookends that subject then the dropping divorce rate we're seeing millennials get divorced a lot less and how's that affecting things and then choosing the right type of divorce so let's jump right in our first uh, episode tonight is brought to you by the Oasis Experience, founded by Linda Lucatorto in 1999. The Oasis Experience has been a premier divorce support and education provider in the Chicagoland area for over 20 years. Check out their website at Oasis, oasisexperience.com. Fantastic. So, you know, it was interesting because I was driving here today and they were talking about the debate and how student loans are going to be a big part of what, you know, what the Democrats are talking about in 2020. And it was it was interesting how it overlapped with our first guest. Um, Laura, you specialize in student loans. I remember you gave a great CLII talk. So talk a little bit about how are student loans different than any other debt when you talk about divorce? They're very different from any other kind of uh, debt. You, um, you can't bankrupt your way out of it. Um, it is something that frequently will stay with the person that borrowed the money um, in a divorce simply because it's one of those kinds of debt that we like to call good debt. It's a debt that you incur in order to hopefully increase your income in the future. Um, It's also very poorly understood by most people Uh, And that's why I started specializing in it. I started getting more and more clients who were buried in it, and I decided, you know, we need to start addressing this. So in a divorce situation, you said it usually stays with one person or the other. Can it be assigned to the other party in a divorce situation? It can. I've seen cases where it can get split um, based, you know, in, in more mediation and collaborative kind of cases. Um, usually that would happen because one spouse stayed at home and contributed to the household while the other was incurring the debt and going to school. That's what I was thinking about because you have a lot of uh, professionals who come out of graduate school, medical school, law school with a certain level of student loans. But if they then make a choice a couple years into practice to stay home for a decade, they're going to have the same amount of student loans as their spouse, so to speak, if they did the same course of education, but less earning power and less ability probably to pay those. 
Right. Although if they get into an income-driven repayment plan, um, then, you know, their income is what's going to determine what their payments are, not the loan balance. Let's talk about that. I find that a lot of people don't even understand something as simple as the different income payment plans that you can do with a student loan. Can you talk a little bit about those? Sure. So currently there are five of them. Um, And the reason there are five of them is because Congress likes to come up with new plans, (laughs) but they don't repeal the old ones. Okay. So some of the older ones out there aren't very popular because they don't really meet people's needs, um, but they each have their own little quirks and they all work for different situations for different people. Okay. From from either one of our attorneys, what do you see? You know, obviously there's complexity. When you're talking to a new client, looking at a new case, and there's a lot of student loan, either from kids or from, you know, a situation where somebody maybe was getting a professional degree, how does that change the landscape of, of how you look at it? Um, well, I'm licensed in practice in Indiana, and so we're a little bit different than Illinois with how we deal with debts. In Indiana, we have what we call the marital pot, and so everything goes in, and it doesn't matter when it was earned, when it was owed, none, whose name is on it, if your name is on it somehow, it's going in the pot. Um, and then we don't do separate property. So if the court says, well, dad has $100,000 $100, in student loans and he should take that, the court then has to say, okay, we're going to deviate from our 50-50 split and then figure out you know, what a fair percentage is. We can't just say, oh, we're going to put the 100000 over here, and then we'll split everything else 50-50. In practice, that's what we do, but our orders aren't allowed to say that. So we have to kind of be, you know, kind of sneaky sometimes when we write stuff up. Uh, not sneaky, but, you know. Is it different in Illinois? <clears throat> um, yes, it is different in Illinois. So in Illinois, there's a concept of marital and non-marital property and marital and non-marital debt. And I'm not going to get into the very detailed comp, you know, explanations of how that's classified, but the general rule, and there are a lot of exceptions, but the general rule is if an asset or a debt is acquired during the marriage, um, then it's marital and it's subject to equitable division. Equitable doesn't always mean equal, but equitable. If it was incurred prior to the marriage, it's yours. So if um, somebody went to college, acquired a bunch of student debt, and then later got married, they're responsible for their student debt. If somebody's married and then they wanna go to graduate school and they have student debt, it doesn't necessarily then get allocated, then there are other evaluations that a court could look at. They'll look at, well, when during the marriage did this student debt get acquired, and when did the degree get earned, or did the degree get earned at all? And then if the degree gets earned, who's gonna benefit from the degree? So it's important to know your individual state rules, but knowing that all of you are mediation trained as well, does it have to be that way, or can people come to their own agreements if they think it's fair to do it a different way? Oh, absolutely. Um, you can come up with pretty much, I, I just told somebody today, um, you know, if you go through the mediation process, you can pretty much do whatever you want, as long as you're not putting on paper like, hey, we're going to, you know, sell our kid. Um, <laughs> like, and even then, I mean, if, it, if there's two attorneys involved um, and attorneys are signing off on a decree, um, you know, the judges give it a cursory look, but they generally think, you know, attorneys have looked at this and have said, okay, everything's fair and above the board. And so there are times where 
you know, the courts will look at your, what your agreement is in detail. I think in Illinois that happens a little more than in Indiana, um, especially in Cook County, because I know you guys, well, at least when I was practicing in Illinois before I said no more, you still had to do prove-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to go in and tell the judge what you agreed to. In Indiana, much nicer. We get to put it on paper, and you could do your entire divorce without stepping a foot in the court building. So Indiana is more progressive than Illinois in this case? <laughs> I don't know about progressive, <laughs> just less time-consuming. <laughs> So in Illinois, um, you the, the standard is it can't be unconscionable. So you do have to go in front of a judge, and that the determination, the courts definitely favor mediation. And in Illinois, for certain issues like even like custody issues, you'll be required to go to mediation. So mediation, and I'll talk about that later, has a lot of benefits, um, including putting whatever the law is on the side and you all figure out what's best for your life and for your case and for your family, including how to deal with student debt. But you do have to demonstrate to the judge that it's not unconscionable and that's not a hugely difficult standard. It just can't be you know, completely off the rails. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I have a question. So what if I incurred all my student loan debt prior to getting married? (coughs) Then if I get divorced, not that I would, um, but if I did, then how would that be divided? So in Illinois, if you acquired the student loan prior to, to the marriage, it's not a marital, it's not part of the marital estate. So it, it's yours. It does not get allocated. Yeah. But in Indiana, it would be different. In Indiana, it all goes in the pot. Now, we would look at when it was acquired, so before the marriage. Um, and I've been practicing for 12 years, and the there's been a shift in how we deal, you know, how we deal with marital debt, um, or how we deal with student, student loan debt, rather. Um, and it used to be, if the debt was in your name and it was student loan debt, it was assumed that was gonna benefit you and only you. And so pretty much everybody, when I started practicing, took their own uh, student loan debt. That has changed. Um, in the last maybe five or six years, there is an argument to, well, you know, I stayed at home while he incurred that debt, or, you know, I incurred this debt so that I could provide this, and now I've got to pay, you know, alimony or spousal maintenance, which is what we call it in Indiana. Um, And, you know, this was our agreement always. We did this so that we could do X. Um, So there are ways, in Indiana at least, where we're looking more at not just when the debt was acquired, but why the debt was acquired and what the two people are doing to do that. I I have some cases where you have somebody who ends the marriage and they've still got 50,000 in student loan debt and the other person, well, they started out with 100,000, but their, their debt got paid off during the marriage. And so that's something that the courts are looking at now, too. Um, So I would be actually interested to know if um, if we do assign that, um, say, in the decree, you know, it's dad's debt, but mom ends up having to pay for it or vice versa. Whose income do they look at if you're going on an income based repayment plan? Good question. Well, if it depends on who owns the debt, um, the, and we're talking about uh, federal loans. So if the federal loan is in his name, then he's responsible for the debt, and they will be using his income to decide what the payments are if he's in an income-driven repayment plan. Okay. Is there anything that you can do um, for people that don't, who have private loans? 
because generally the federal ones are the ones that get paid off first, at least in my in my experience. And I'm generally left with things that are private loans that there's just no way to work with that I know of. No, there there really isn't. Um, and I very rarely recommend clients change their loans from federal to private for that very reason. Yeah. You lose a lot of flexibility. So one of the more common divorces that we're seeing now are gray divorces in people as they're getting older. So now we're not only talking about their student loans, but we're talking about potentially their kids' student loans that they either co-sign for or the only person on. How does that get dealt with often? Well, it, it, it's, it really doesn't matter if it's, the, if it's a parent plus loan as opposed to a regular student loan. Um, frequently, parent plus loans are taken out as the couple. Um, they're they're not. I mean, one they're not the always one one client or the other. Um, but these can be pretty substantial. I'm I'm working with a 50 year old teacher right now who's taken out 120 thousand dollars to get her kid through school. The problem with parent plus loans is they are 10 times more difficult to get into an income driven repayment plan. Okay. So And you can't get out of it. You can't either. bankrupt your way out of it. There are ways to get out of it, um, but it involves things like the school that you went to has lost its accreditation and it was, you know, it it was one of these fraudulent schools to begin with. Um, the kid passes away. Um, those kinds of things. It's very rare to get out of student debt. So if the child passes away, the loan is forgiven because I've heard both that if you co-sign for your child or for the or does it matter on the type of the loan it matters on the type of the loan so again if we're talking about private loans if the parent or the you know the parent co-signs on the loan with a child and either the child or the parent passes away the loan is due immediately Wow. Yeah. So, and even with the, the fraudulent colleges, I there's a lot of stories out there about people having a really hard time getting the current administration um, to honor that. And actually, um, not only there, there's not even stories, there's a current lawsuit going they on. They are breaking the law. They're breaking the law. Wow. They are not only not allowing them to be discharged or forgiven, they're actively collecting in some cases. That's crazy. Against court order. Now, question on, you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, again, we were talking about people taking out loans for their own reason. Now we're talking about kids. Post-divorce, when the parents still have to work together, how, how does that work out? Can they be compelled to, to, to have to seek loans? I mean, how does, how does that ultimately work if they're agreeing that they're going to pay for the kids' school? So in Illinois, um, there's been a lot of litigation on this. Before The law actually changed. It used to be that the court could compel parents to contribute to the education of their children post-divorce. And, and it that was, can include a loan. Yeah, so, and then they had to figure out how that contribution would occur, whether they had to take a loan to meet the court order of their share of the contribution for the college expense, because it, it was and is still considered in the nature of support for the children um, for um, post-high uh, school education. Then the law changed and capped the contribution. So the contribution is now capped to University of Illinois, Urbana, Champaign, in state tuition, room and board. That's the cap. So if you want to send your child to a private school that's 75 grand a year, the court is not going to mandate that parents allocate a price tag that high. 
But the and so if the court apportions, usually the apportioning is kind of looked at based on income, income potential, lifestyle, ex- other expenses. So if one parent earns a lot more, but they've got five kids to support. So there's a lot of factors that go into, but once the court decides what an eloca- equitable allocation would be, so let's say it's 60-40, um, then it's 60-40 apportioned of that price tag, the, you, wow. the in-state tuition. So it sounds so like can a be lot on the of planning. And you know, we, we talked about getting people, you know, we talk all the time about getting people split ready. It sounds like with stuff like this in a DIY, type world, this isn't one I would try and wing because it sounds like that could have lasting impact. So thanks so much, great information. Laura, if they wanna get hold of you, what's the best way for them to get hold of you and talk a little bit about this? So my website is embarkcollaborations.com and uh, the business phone number is 773-412-3129. Fantastic. And again, you are listening to Getting Split Ready, Chicago's premier divorce podcast. And if you are thinking about divorce, please visit splitready.com and take our free assessment. You can come through your divorce with your finances, your integrity, and your sanity intact. Be informed, ask questions, and be split ready. 